Wrestling fans, this episode is brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant is an app available in the Google and Apple Play stores that provides detailed statistics on the sport of wrestling. I love the compare feature where you can compare two wrestlers and see who Quant thinks is going to win that match. So throw in, for example, two guys that are wrestling tonight, Ja'Cory Teamer from Arizona State and Will Luan from Michigan. Put those two wrestlers into the Quant app and have Quant tell you who's going to win that match. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free. That's Quant Wrestling, Q-U-A-N-T, proud sponsor of this episode. Now let's get to the show. My main thing was really to give them an opportunity to get off the streets through wrestling, you know. Not so much as winning, although we love to win, but just give them, you know, like I, I bought arcade, big old stand-up arcade games, you know, just to give them something to do instead of being in the streets. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Quant Wrestling. We have a very special episode for you today. We have the former head coach of the legendary Harvey Twisters, Coach Quinn Troy Harrell. Coach Quinn, as he's known to his guys, became the head coach of the Twisters in 1984 and retired in 2021. During his tenure, the Twisters achieved unprecedented levels of success, winning 20-plus Illinois IKWF team titles, God knows how many Illinois state champions. Two Twisters have gone on to become Olympians, T.C. Dantzler and Joe Williams. And Twister wrestlers have won a combined six NCAA Division I national titles. This is one of the great men in wrestling, and it's an honor to have him on the show today. This interview was recorded at Coach Quinn's house in the south suburbs of Chicago, and we focus heavily on the early years of the Twisters. My initial goal for scheduling this interview is due to the Tony Davis audio documentary that we're releasing this spring. So Tony Davis was coached by Coach Quint and was one of the legendary twisters of the late 80s, early 90s. So this interview is done against the backdrop of the Tony Davis audio documentary that will be going live in the spring. But I took out a lot of the Tony Davis commentary because it needs a little bit of context to make sense. So what remains is one of the most impressive interviews I've ever done in terms of the value Coach Quint delivers it's the first interview I've ever known Coach Quinn to do, so I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, let's get right to the interview with Coach Quinn. 
All right, Coach Quint, let's talk some wrestling, sir. All right, all right. Let's do it. So let's just start. Uh, for the folks who don't know, you go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Quintroy Harrell, and I coached the Harvey Twistles for 38 years. How did you first get involved with, with coaching? Uh, so my senior year in high school, my mother had adopted uh, two of my distant cousins. And so they used to come and watch me wrestle. And then I would come home and I'd teach them a little wrestling. I ended up teaching other kids in the neighborhood who was around their age. Then when I went to school and my uh, stepfather passed away, so I came back after three years and uh, catching up with some of the guys in the neighborhood that I had, you know, taught how to wrestle. And um, other guys was like, hey, you know, uh, why don't you show us some moves? And, you know, and it, it's, it's kind of snowballed from there, you know. And Don Witted uh, was involved with the Twisters in 82. You were there as well. How did you become head coach in 85? Um, well, Don Witted actually um, asked me. He, he would see me at high school matches with a bunch of kids. You know, I would, I would always have like eight or nine kids bringing them to high school matches. And uh, so he asked me, he said, what are you doing with all those kids? So I tell him, I said, well, I, you know, I teach these kids how to wrestle. So he said, where? And I said, well, in my basement, you know. So he said, well, I have a little club up here at Harvey at the um, uh, rec center. Why don't you bring them up there? So I started going up there with them. And uh, me and Don, uh, we started coaching together, you know. But um, that's basically how we met, you know. And at the early stages, it was the Harvey Park District Twisters. Just yes. kind of... Give us some insight into the early years building that program and like how many kids were there. And In the beginning, I would say it probably was right around maybe 18 to 25 kids. And um, they have, uh, pretty much all kids from Harvey. All the kids were from Harvey. And um, right around 83 the numbers kind of slightly started picking up, you know, slightly. And then um, right around 85, Don kind of stepped down from the Twisters. I, I stepped up as head coach and uh, head coach ever since, you know. And what was, your, what was your main goal when working with the kids? My main thing was really to give them an opportunity to get off the streets through wrestling, you know. Um, not so much as winning, although we love to win, but just give them, you know, like I, I bought arcade, big old stand-up arcade games, you know, just to give them something to do instead of being in the streets. So that was my main thing. Now, once, you know, we started having success, you know, that, that get a little contagious and, you know, uh, everybody wants to win in. So I would have to be, honestly say, though, just to give, get, give them an opportunity to get off the streets, you know. And when you say get off the streets, you're mentioning Harvey, Illinois. Talk about the transition of some of the south suburbs from the 50s through the 80s and like just the crime wave that kind of swept through all of that. Honestly, like when you're in something, you don't really realize how bad it is. So when I say off the streets, I'm, I, I meant like um, giving them an avenue to go to college through the sport. Although Harvey was bad, but I was in it. So you don't see how bad it really is because you're living it. You know, uh, although, you know, like 
what happens in Harvey, one may say in another neighborhood, wow, really? And for us, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's such and such, you know. So it wasn't a big deal for us, but I, I, I did know that these kids wouldn't have been able to go to, to college without, you know, a scholarship, you know. So when I, when I make reference of getting out of the streets, off the streets, that's what I'm speaking of. And Tony actually said you were the first one to plant that in his mind. He didn't know how he'd get there, but yeah. you had in, injected that in yeah. his mind. Yeah, I mean, like, like I, I tell all the kids, you know, uh, if you want to go to college, you know, you want to change your life, you know, then uh, you can use wrestling to do it, you know. And I, I tell them all that, you know. And I don't think it sank in until, they, you know, they see their name in the newspaper or you know, they get to high school and, and they really become somebody, you know. And so take us inside the room, you know, the technique and just like the practice structure. Did you have like an overarching philosophy that kind of guided how you ran the practice and how you dealt with the kids? So I never believed in dealing with the team as a team. I always addressed the kids as individuals. And um, some of the kids you got to put your arm around. Some of the kids you have to be very stern, you know. Some of the kids you have to actually suit up and wrestle, you know. So uh, I, I I dealt with them more so as individuals than a collective team. And what kind of an individual was Tony? Uh, Want to have a last word? <laughs> Smart mouth, uh, slick, um, cunning, uh, and gifted, real gifted. Now, a, real, a real gifted kid, uh, a very quick thinker, very quick thinker. Uh, I think Tony was more instinctive than he was technical, you know. Not that he didn't have technique, but he, his, his uh, natural ability to react to a shot or to react to uh, any any type of technique was unreal. You know, he. I remember him wrestling Terpelli, and Terpelli took a shot on him, and he actually kind of. It was weird. It's kind of hard to explain, but he kind of like spun around in midair and was behind Terpelli. And in my mind, I was like. Man, and that, but the crowd was like, ooh, which confirms that, okay, what I'm thinking, they're thinking, you know. He was, uh, he just had a natural ability to uh, react to, in, you know, any type of uh, offense, you know, really weird. Something that really is not teachable, you know. The hips and the balance out of this world. Well, not, not only that, though, just, um, I mean, because... Thought has to precede all of that, you know. Just this, the awareness, you know. It's it's it's, it's hard to explain, but you know, uh, he has it, you know. And you know, and it's something that you know you can't teach because how many kids have that kind of ability, you know? When you think the state of Illinois started to notice Tony, I would say probably. Uh, he won the Midwest Classic and he won the Panthers tournament. Those was huge tournaments. So at the kid level, he, you know, when he won those tournaments, uh, he he got recognized. Or he was a little scrawny guy, you know, but uh, he was cocky, you know. 
always been kind of co- silently cocky. You know, he, he'll go up to a kid on the Twisters team uh, and, and known that they lost, and he'll say, did you win? I, I took first. And, you know, know the kid lost, you know, so he was uh, not arrogant, but kind of, you know, silently cocky. And uh, I think after he won those two tournaments, I think he started to uh, get some looks, you know. And as he went on and actually won four and five IKWF titles, that, you know, he was well known at that point, you know. Bill Cartwright, the proviso coach, said that Tony was like a god to kids. <laughs> Did you, I mean, when you go to the, are you aware of it since you're so close to it? Like that he has like this aura surrounding him? No, nah, so, so for me, you know, I, I mean, so like other, others could look at it like that, but he was in a practice room with me. So, you know, like Joe Williams, Tony, uh, TJ, I, them guys get beat every day in practice, you know, so they're, they're not gods in practice and, and they'll tell you that. But on the outside looking in, you know, they, uh, you know, they could be looked at, I guess, like that, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I, I had a guy ask me one time, he said, man, has Joe Williams ever lost? And I just laugh, you know. But, you know, I guess when you see the dominance down the line, you know, it, one could wonder, you know. And you start to, you mentioned his record earlier. Could you just share that again? Tony's record. Uh, he was like 564 or 65 and six losses. He definitely only had six losses. And I know he was either 560, he was 560 something. I don't know if it was 64, 65, 66, but he was uh, 560 wins, 60 plus wins, you know. Now that includes the freestyle and Greco, mm-hmm. you know, along with folk style. And the, the last loss, do you remember that? I want to say that was, his last loss was to Ben Gerties. I want to say he might have been in the fourth grade. And he told me after that match, he said, um, I never lose again. I never lose that state again. And, you know, and I, I, I said, uh, don't, don't, don't say that. I said, it's some tough guys. He, he looked at me at eye. He said, no, I never lose that state again. I said, okay. <laughs> but I didn't want to, I didn't want to plant that on him. And then he lose. And then, um, some kids you can't get back from that, so I didn't want to put that on him, you know. But he, he put it on himself. He said, "No." I, he looked at me eye to eye. He said, "I never lose that state again." He ended up winning five, you know. Um, just uh, I'm mad at him you know, applying himself, putting his mind to it. He did work hard from that point on. He wasn't the hardest worker, and the times he did work hard is because he that that kind of attitude he had about himself, you know, so he didn't talk some talk. Now you got to bag it up that then he'll work hard, you know, but uh, he TJ was a hard worker. You know, Tony wasn't a hard worker. You know, I, I, I think that changed in college, you know, did TJ and Tony wrestle as kids? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They wrestled. Uh, I mean, back in IKWF, I you know, you go to some tournaments, there's nothing but twisters in a bracket. <laughs> yeah. how, did, how did they go? I don't think, as kids, I don't think TJ had ever beaten Tony. You know, um, Tony Tony was a phenom. You know, he, uh, if you end up in that bracket with him, <laughs> you have to deal with him. He, he was a phenom. You know, uh, um, as a kid, Opiola 
from um, Dalton. He beat Tony uh, in the sectionals one year, maybe, maybe the regionals. Uh, and then um, Ben Gerdes beat him. He had six losses. The other th- three of them I know came when he was like really young, uh, wrestling older, much older kids, you know. And I can't remember who the other one was, but uh, I know three of those losses came when he was maybe five or six years old, you know. And you mentioned it earlier, one division back then. Oh, yeah, back then it was just one division, you know. So, you know, uh, nine-year-old wrestling, 14-year-old estate, you know. It's a kid out of Lockport. I can't remember his name, but he beat Tony like twice, real, real tall kid. And they were at like 70 pounds. No, they was lighter than 70. Or they were around 65. But, um, I, I, you know, there's many moons ago. I can't remember those names now. You have an elephant memory because you're getting into <laughs> details. And um, tell me about, you know, as Tony's starting to go on his run, so too are the Twisters. When was the first breakthrough from a team title perspective? 86 was our first. Well, actually, in 85... I think we qualified five kids at state and took third. And uh, that pretty much had us thinking like, hey, you know, all those guys coming back, (laughs) we can do some damage, you know. And so after 85, I want to say we won uh, five or six in a row. Um, But, you know, that's when – Milton Blakely, Tony, I mean, we were, you know, stacked at clearly maybe about nine weight classes in a row. You know, we were stacked in, uh, I mean, title contentions. Although right around the 85-pound, 90-pound, we um, we took like third, took a fifth at 95, but then – 99 with Steve Steve Williams and then Alvin Jones, another great twister, and then Terry Danzler, then Andre Davis, then Joe Williams. You know, we I mean, we <laughs> we were uh, we were successful, real successful back then. You know, we were stacked. And if you're talking to young coaches now and they're looking to build a program, and what's just like some some advice you would give that enabled you to have that success over well, that time? I, I know that when we um, our our team was our team. You know, it wasn't a recruited team. These kids grew up together. You know, they uh, I I would take them fishing. You know, uh, as a you know twenty twenty five deep. You know, we playing video games. We you know uh, we went to a tournament in um, Maryland. I want to say it might have been maybe about 32 kids. We crammed up in a van, and, you know, we leave Maryland. We go fishing. You know, I don't know what lake it was, but, you know, bought a bunch of riding reels. And, you know, so it was uh, it was not just wrestling. It, I mean, for us, it was family, you know. And, and um, although, you know, in families you get a little jealousy, you get a little fights, you know, but that's family, you know, especially a large family, you know, so. It wasn't nothing phony about it. It was all real, you know. And uh, these guys that 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 we're mentioning, these guys still they they keep in touch with each other, like two and three times a week, you know. Um, 
I, <laughs> I, I'm gonna leave that part alone. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's uh, they're real unified. You know, even even like like B.J. Fruitrail will be he'll talk to one of the old schoolers that he didn't grow up with. You know, but they that's how they you know they reach out to one another like that. I think that's awesome. You know, speaks a lot about the program. You know. Well, T.J. Williams was telling me how him and Tony would go fishing all the time with you. Yeah. And on yeah. Christmas break, they would have the carpet burners tournament. Yes, yes, yes. In yes. your basement. <laughs> how did that all come to be? So, I, you know, I, me and uh, one of the other coaches, we uh, went out to the club. And I told them, I said, all right, we got the tournament in the morning. I said, so y'all go to bed no later than 10 o'clock. So they all in the basement. So we come, we come back in. And it's probably right around three o'clock in the morning. And I see the basement light turns off. So I say, oh, these jokers ain't sleep. So I go and open the basement door. And then I, I, I go and I look around. And I look around. And everybody knocked out, supposedly. So I, I look up the wall and I see rug burn invitation. And I'm looking at the bracket. They done rolled out a little bracket sheet. And then I, I look at one of them got a little, you know, a little burn on the face. And I said, I know you guys not sleep because I saw the basement light go out when I pulled up. I said, but if, if any of y'all show me any times, uh, signs of being tired in a match, you're going you're gonna to give me 100 push-ups. So uh, they just started laughing, and then they went on to sleep, and they did well the next morning. I want to say we were we was in Bethalto the next morning. They did real well. Yeah, and a lot of the guys said that if they didn't stay with you the morning of the tournament, you're going to pick them up in your van. Yeah, every morning. Why did you do that? Well, one, I didn't want to depend on parents, and and in all actuality, there wasn't a lot of parents. You know, like I would, you know, like a lot of those kids' parents never came to see them wrestle. You know, as I stated before, you know, I'm trying to give them an opportunity to get out of this situation. So. They knew they were in, the parents that I did have knew they, they were in good hands, and they would pretty much leave it up to me. And so, you know, I knew that some parents are not going to get up at 4 in the morning, you know. And so it would be easier for me to just grab the van and just swing around, pick them all up. You know, those that with me is with me, and then the rest of them, I'll go get them, you know. And that way I didn't have to have no worries, you know. Yeah, and once you guys got to the tournament, this is a, I've asked everyone this question. This is a story of legend. Did you guys instruct them not to talk to the other kids, or were they just so close that it was like an all-business atmosphere? On instructions, on instructions. Keep your mouth shut. We're here, we're here for one reason, that's to wrestle. That's, that's, what, that's what we're here You know, there were times when, like, uh, we would go to tournaments, fire alarm get pulled, the blame go on the twisters. You know, uh, something get taken, blame go on the twisters. So af- after that, keep your mouth shut, stay in line, Sit up in the bleachers, watch your opponent. That's it. <laughs> that was on instructions. Now, after a couple of years, I didn't have to say anything. You know, they would take it upon themselves to, you know. So it was, it was more so like, uh, well, honestly, like, uh, really, when a fire alarm got pulled, I knew we were going to take the blame. And um, eventually they found the kid that did it. But over the internet, it was the twisters, you know. 
So uh, it was about me making sure that the kids was, you know, in a in an area where I could keep an eye on them and stay focused, you know. But it was it definitely was a pun instruction early on. Then after that, it kind of you know they took it took it on path. Then you know. And how did how did you process something like that, where knowing that your kids were getting the blame unjustly? I mean, I, I, I grew up in it. You know, I grew up in it, so it's just a matter of, you know, hey, you know, let's do what we came to do, you know, stay focused. When, I, when I'm focused, I don't have to worry about that, you know. Yep, it's all business. And, like, yeah, I think yep. about with my era, we were trading singlets, we were trading shirts. You <laughs> never saw a Twister singlet. What would you have thought if you saw a Venom cat wearing a oh, Twister oh singlet? Oh, my God, a Venom cat? <laughs> <laughs> my brother wrestled one of the finals twice. I'm with you on that, man. Oh, wow. That's funny. Uh, just show, I just love the, the discipline of it. And then, you know, the one thing all great leaders say is clarity of purpose. You were very clear on the purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's a problem that I didn't, I didn't need to deal with. You know, I'm, I'm, first of all, you know, I'm at this tournament, and I do have, you know, from time to time we've had quite a few coaches, uh, but it's a big responsibility when you, you know, you have like 30 to 50 kids and maybe about eight or nine parents. You can't come home without a kid, you know, not one, you know, make no mistake about it. Uh, <laughs> they might not be there, but they intend on their kid coming home. You know, so it was it was an easy decision for me to say, OK, let's get more structure. You know, you don't talk to nobody else. You, you know, I've, I've, I've had uh, I had a parent. That was taking one of my kids and practicing with him with his kid over the weekend. I had no clue. And this was going on for like four months. I had no clue, you know, and. uh <laughs> and, the, and the parent of my kid, because we didn't have much communication, she thought it was okay. You know, she didn't know. You know, now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, man, why are we losing this guy now? <laughs> How often would you see other coaches taping your guys? Quite often, quite often. I've had coaches, you know, tell me. I mean, outright tell me. Yeah, we uh we structured our practices off of you know you, you guys, you know technique and things of that nature. I, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. We at the end of the day, we still have to work hard. You know, you know. So uh, I would see it all the time though. Imitations, yeah. serious form of flattery, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just you know I I look at it like um, if that's all it takes to beat us for for a guy to tape us then we should be beat if that if, if we're if we're you know just um if if they can figure us out just like that then we should be and, and then if we get beat then we have something to work on you know and how would you talk about winning and losing with the kids versus effort honestly i never really focus on winning and losing i focus on improvement so if a kid would, you know, like, now if a kid lost that I thought should have won, won, I got a problem with that, you know. 
but I'm going to address the technique first. You know, I'm going to address the situation. And and nothing burned me more than uh, to see a kid lose because he didn't feel like he was good enough. So, so to, if a kid lost and he was just not the better wrestler, maybe even that particular day I could deal with that. But if you if you're in a match and you you know you cower because you don't put yourself there, then I have a problem with that. You know, I, I had a real issue with uh, one of my kids in particular. I spoke to him uh, uh, about three days ago in reference to that, and he's like uh, right around forty, thirty nine. You know, <laughs> but. Um, he just ran. He, you know, the kid caught him upstairs and, you know, he just ran and, and he could throw, He, you know, he, but he was scared, you know, and I, man, I chewed him out, you know, the next time we beat the crap out of the kid. But, you know, it's, I knew it was just, it was just fear, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't even fear of losing. It was fear of getting caught, you know, just fear of failure, you know, and I, and I, you know, I watched, um, I watched a lot of guys lose just, just from up here, you know. Yeah, put it on the line, you know, uh, you know, an Albert White match in high school. I can't remember the kid's name, but uh, the kid he lost to uh, at the Dvorak. The Lockport kid? No, he wasn't Lockport. Uh, yeah, what was the Lockport kid? Roth? Name? Yeah, Roth, Roth. Um, yeah, because him and Benefield wrestled for third yes, and fourth. Yes, yes, <laughs> The uh, uh, Roth kid. Um he he lost the match by one point. And I said, well, what was the score? I was at work, you know. I said, what was the score? He said, 1-0. I said, 1-0? I would rather see you lose 3-0 to zero than 1-0. So you didn't put nothing on the line? You didn't take no bad shots? You know, give me something, you know. So uh, I knew it would be a, a, a different match at the state tournament. You know, Albert come out the gate, boom, boom, you know. We're going. That's all I want to see. You know, Walk off the bat, you know, knowing that you, you know, you you put something in it, you know. And then if we lose, we lose, you know. But I see a lot of guys uh, that fear of failure, you know. Uh, you know, they they as they say, uh, putting the uh, the carriage before the horse, you know. <laughs> You're already in in your mind and figured out, oh, my, this not going to work before even trying it, you know. And when you talk about family, every family has moral codes and values. What were some of the values and codes that the kids in your Twister family lived by when they were in the room or on trips with you? Everybody, I mean, so like, I'm very strict when it comes to uh, discipline and um, just um, being a good person, you know, so it's yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, Kids are, I, I, you know, so I, I wasn't naive to not realize that kids are still going to be kids, you know, but you still have to lay the law down so they can know that they have done wrong, you know. So um, every um, everything that my parents expected of me, that's what I expected of them, you know, and uh, my parents were strict, you know, very strict, you know, so. There was guidelines that, you know, I couldn't cross, you know, uh, no cursing, no swearing, you know, nothing. None of that. I would sneak up on them and hear them, you know, and then 
<laughs> then, but they're shameful. Then, so that's what I want, you know, because I know you curse, I know you swear, but I want when you're approached by an adult, I want to see, I want to see a reaction that, uh oh, I shouldn't have said that, or I got caught, you know. I don't want to see you looking like, oh yeah, I can say what I want to say, you know. So, you know, we um, everything that was expected of me, I passed down to them, you know. And you by um, example. Big part. Lead by example. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Sounds like it comes back to respect. Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I was all of them tell you I was hard on them. And, and all of them loved me to death. You know, you know, those guys uh, from, you know, um, from BJ Fruit Trail all the way down, you know, all those guys, you know, great relationship. I, I went to their weddings and just, you know, good kids, you know, real good kids. And so you're coaching all these kids in the 80s in the Twisters room. Cooper Ave, you know, at the Park District, eventually this uh, Mount Carmel pipeline gets started. Mm -hmm. And you got Steve at Thornwood and... uh, Steve was at Thornton. Thornton, excuse me. Joe's coming up. Mm -hmm. How does the Mount Carmel Twister connection start? Um, Wick wanted to recruit Joe. And Joe and Steve at the time lived with me. And uh, I wasn't going to separate the kids. You know, and so um, if you want Joe, then you have to get Steve, you know. And uh, I don't think that that's the direction they originally wanted to take, you know, because Stevie was a, Joe was real humble, real quiet, you know, uh, real passive. Like Stevie, on the other hand, is the Muhammad Ali of uh, wrestling, you know, and, and uh he he's the type of guy that, you, you know, you either love him or hate him, you know, uh, and so that's not the direction they wanted to take. Eventually, you know, they ended up, you know, taking it. And then, you know, TJ comes in and then, you know, TJ and Tony is like best of friends. So, you know, then Tony comes in and Milton Blakely is a good friend. So, you know, it all kind of snowballed from there, you know. But um, originally it originated with Joe, you know. That's, uh, that's who Mark Carmel wanted. And I know you're protective of your kids or your own kids. What about... Mount Carmel and Wick gave you a feeling that you could send him there with trust. Wick is like one of the coolest guys I ever met. You know, he's uh, he's a he, Wick in his own way is like Tony Davis. He's a slickster, he's a smooth talker, uh, full of humor, makes makes anybody comfortable. You know, um, he was he was he was a great pick for the Twisters. You know. Uh, down the line, we did have, uh, we had an issue with one of the twisters. I, I won't mention no names. Uh, I didn't, wasn't particular about how he uh, dealt with that situation. But overall, uh, most of those kids that went to Mount Carmel, they liked Wick, you know, uh, probably 99%, you know. And uh, the one kid that um, Wick had a, issue with um I felt Wick was wrong you know I I, I could be um biased you know because because you know it's, it's a twister but I I did honestly I I felt Wick was kind of wrong and uh but o- overall I like Wick you know outside of that one incident I really like Wick yeah he's 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 uh He's the kind of guy that his word was good, 
outside of the one issue. <laughs> um, he, um, the kids was comfortable with him. That, that was huge, you know. That was real huge. Then they had a coach, not Austrian, uh, Oglesby. Oglesby was, so what I felt Wick lacked in, Oglesby picked up in. He was very stern, very, you know, very twist of culture, you know, putting the hammer down. So I thought it was a good fit. It was a real good fit, you know. Everybody I talked to you about Wick says that he was a storyteller and a talker. Oh, yes, yeah. That, I mean, that's, he was cunning, you know, whatever. He had a story for everything. So no, irregardless of the issue, he could, you know, he, he going to lure you in on the story. He going to make you laugh, make you smile. He's a good guy, you know, a good coach. That's a good quality of a coach, you know. Uh, Gervais was pretty much, you know, kind of the same way. Gervais was very good with uh, just communicating, you know, being, putting the kids in a um, state of mind where, man, I wrestle for you, you know, and that's huge, you know. A lot of times the kids uh, go out there and they're wrestling for themselves, but when they, when they add you in on the pitch, sometimes they'll let themselves down, but they don't want to let you down, you know. So that, that was really huge when I saw that out of Wick and Gervais, you know. Yeah, A lot great, of respect for them. <clears throat> great Marist coach, right? Yes, yeah, yes. those are some great teams. Yes. And uh, when you think about Wick calling you, how common was it for eighth graders to be recruited by high schools back in those days? So it was going on all along, and I never knew. <laughs> so it was going on, but I never knew it. You know, I didn't, I didn't get wind of it, actually, until they called for Joe. I never knew that they recruited, you know. So I was kind of lost on that, you know. And what kind of school is Mount Carmel? It's a good school. It's a good school. It has, um, just to graduate from that carries a lot of weight, you know, it's, and you know, uh, um, during that time, academically they were they were real tough. You know, real. I, I don't know. I'm I'm saying during that time because prior to then, our kids were going to public schools. You know, so it wasn't you know it wasn't as challenging. But when they went to Mount Carmel, it was it was challenging early on. You know, until uh, the kids got you know acclimated to the program and. Even, you know, dealing with tutors and things of that nature, you know, where the kids that was going to public schools didn't have to deal with that. So academically, it was a challenge, you know, for all of them. Except, well, now some of the kids like like B.J. Frutero, we had a kid named Lawrence Henning. Uh, I, think, I want to say Lawrence of Valley Victoria. So some of the kids, depending on what school system they came out of, you know, grade school, they were prepared. Some wasn't, you know. How about Tony? I would have to say Tony probably was in the middle, you know. It's all it, with Tony. It's all a bit depends on if he applies himself, you know. It's, it's he, he's he's a smart kid, you know. If he applies himself, you know, he, he's not the type of kid. You had some kids that never had to read a book and they just was, you know, naturally smart, you know. Tony had to apply himself, you know. Anytime he applies himself, watch out because he's. He's going to come through with flying colors. You know? Look at him now, teacher of the year. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's typical Tony. You know, if he, if he once he applies himself, he's unstoppable, you know. Unfortunately, um, he had to go through some lumps, pretty much like all natural athletes has to do, you know, before they realize it. And to your point about Tony, everyone says that the teachers loved him. He was a schmoozer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's... You know, he had like the Steve Williams charisma a little bit. Yeah, no, no. He was, um, he was a little bit above Steve. He, 
Tony was cunning. Very, and, and, you know, I remember TC uh, told me, he said, uh, they, we had went to a tournament. And uh, this was a summer tournament. He said, he said, Quint, I know he saw me lose. I know he saw me lose. And he walked up to me, uh, did you win? <laughs> and then he, you know, had his little gold medal on, you know. Yeah, just a little, you know, a little jab, you know. Well, one of the things Tony said that influenced him a lot was at some point in time, you gave him the John Smith, How Low Can You Go DVD. Mm-hmm. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yes, yes, I do. Because he was real quick. He, he'd take, he, he would dive on shots, you know. And I said, well, let's, let's clean this up. I don't want to take this away from you because, you know, you like doing it. So let's clean it up. And I gave him that How Low uh, Can You Go DVD on uh, John Smith. Excellent DVD. Excellent, you know. Yeah. But he was, yeah, he, you know, um, he had the ability to, to, he was actually successful diving in there, but I knew it was bad technique. So I said, let's, hey man, that's garbage. Let's clean this up. Watch this here, you know. And um, one thing about him, he, he was a student, you know, so he was the type of kid, if you show him something, if he like it or if it fits within his regimen, He's going to take it and he's going to run with it, you know. So he was a student. I give him that, you know. But when it came to um, what I consider garbage, he considered just, uh, what do you mean, you know, <laughs> you know. But he would, you know, he would just naturally do things, you know, that um, I couldn't recognize this technique. So I call it garbage, you know. <laughs> And uh, and he would do it consistently, consistently. So is it garbage, you know? <laughs> and TJ would say, man, because like seventh, eighth grade, Tony's living in Inglewood. He's coming to practice less and less. Yes. Wait, you know, like you guys would even just show up on Sundays. Yes. Pick him up. And uh, that was right. That was that was right up his alley. That's what he wanted. He, he did not want. So so Inglewood was great for him because he didn't have to practice then. And he hated practice, you know. Hated it. So he he was, you know, like when he lived in Harvey and I go swing around and pick him up, it takes forever to get him out of the house. But when he lived in Inglewood, oh, he's out right away, you know, because that's what he wanted. He didn't want to go to practice. He only wanted to go to tournaments. So Tony's going into Mount Carmel. What what was your reaction when you heard that he was going to Mount Carmel? And what were your goals for him going into high school? I, my biggest thing was him being disciplined enough to get his academics together. That, that was it. Wrestling would take care of itself. I, I wasn't worried about wrestling. It was the discipline, you know. And then he's living in Inglewood, so it ain't like I can put my hand on him, you know. So he's, uh, you know, like like if he was in Harvey, grab him by the ear, hey, what what are you doing? You know, but he's in Inglewood, oh, he probably, you know, loving that. <laughs> you know, loving that. And he's away from me, so, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you're going to have to have discipline, to get up, go to school on time. You know, public schools is not quite as challenging. But but Mount Carmel, I remember uh, Stevie didn't wear a belt, man, and you know he he got a well, they they call it something Saturday that you have to come in for Saturday. That's basically you sit in the classroom, you know. But you know uh, didn't have a shirt button all the way up, you know. And he just he would collect disciplines, you know, but. Uh, so I was more concerned about him having the discipline to get up, be at school on time, 
and get them grades right. You know, that, that, that was my biggest concern. You know, uh, he could, you know, he could fit in with anyone. You know, that wasn't an issue. You know, uh, he could do the academics if he applied himself. But the question was, are you going to have the discipline to do it? You know, because the mom moms had, I think, two or three other younger children. Uh, so Tony was the second oldest, I think. Yeah, Mike was the oldest and Tony was the second oldest. So, you know, I knew he wouldn't have me or the other coaches to, you know, ride him consistently because he's out there. So, he, you know, I, I talked to him, though. I, I told him, I said, man, you, you know, you got to be on top of your grades, you know. And so uh, I, I, that was my concern, you know. And what wrestling matches from high school of Tony stick out to you, if any? Well, you know, quite naturally, that last match. <laughs> that last match. Uh, what was that kid's name uh, in the finals? Reggie? Uh, no, not, not, no not, that, not that one. You talking uh, college or high school? Yeah, I get, no, it, it was, no, no, it was um, Black Kid, had neck wrench. Oh, Elijah Roberts. Elijah Roberts, yes. <laughs> yes, that, that match. Um, no one's mentioned that. Tell me about that one. That's all new to me. So Elijah Roberts had pinned, I want to say he had pinned everyone with that neck wrench. And um, Tony, I had my years mixed up. That was his junior year, I believe. Uh, Tony didn't. So Tony is a type. He, you know, he he don't acknowledge um, respect in that manner. So I'm like, hey, Tony, man, you know, don't have your head on the outside. This kid has a real. I ain't worried about that. <laughs> But this this dude, I just I just seen him lay down like three people with his neck wrench, you know. That this is his this is his thing, you know. So uh, Tony got in on the shot, and he actually caught him in a wrench. But Tony was able. To, if anybody could do it, I would I would say Tony would, because he was able to kind of finagle his way out of it. But um, at the end of the match, he's like, "Man, my, my neck gonna be sore." <laughs> He said, he said, man, that's tight. That was real tight. I said, I tried to tell you, you know. But that was the match that kind of stuck out because he had to actually. Uh, so Elijah wasn't going to really shoot because his neck wrench wasn't effective off the shot. It was effective off the defense. And twisters are offensive wrestlers. If you take away our offense, we're really just a mediocre wrestler, you know. So I knew we had to go get him. So we have to deal with this neck wrench. And, you know, and this dude, in my mind, this dude is not respecting this neck wrench, you know. So uh, he actually, you know, he caught him with it. I want to say maybe twice we took good shots and he caught us with it, but we just gutted it out, you know. But um, that was uh, that was the match that stuck out to me because Elijah had pinned everybody else with it, you know, and. He, he he surely was trying to knock at Tony door with it, you know. But uh, Reggie match, you you he would have had to have been in shape, you know. And, and Reggie knew it, you know. Reggie put in the paper. He said, uh, he said, uh, if I can get to the third period, I, I got him, you know. And 
Reggie, everybody knew, you know, he, you know, if you can push him, if you can stay in the match and push him, get him in the third, you can beat him. You know, and uh, I think the problem was Tony ready too, you know, because he, uh, I say, it, all he had to do was lock his hands. So that, now, that's easy to say from the sideline, you know, but um, he, you know, that, that match he, he, he very well could have won, you know, but I, my hat's off to Reggie, you know, he, he had a plan. He stuck with it. He pushed, and you know, he he worked hard. He paid off. You know, was there a lot of buildup for that match? Yes. Yeah. Not not from our perspective, um, but when I got to the state tournament, I saw it. You know, I I saw guys jaw jacking, talking a lot of crap. You know, and I was like, man, this this is this is gonna be a match. You know, I honestly like. I didn't know how well conditioned Tony was, but I didn't, I didn't see it being, you know, a loss, you know. But um, especially when you see it in the paper, man, you know, when you need to go get, you know, go run, bro, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, B.J. Wolowski from Providence had tied up with Stevie in a match, and uh, Stevie ran out of gas. I told you, Stevie lived with me. I ain't tell, I ain't said nothing to him. I hear uh, the door close. It's like four in the morning. I say, Joe, where's Stevie? He he gone jogging. I didn't have to say nothing, you know. And th- this was like he. I want to say Stevie lost to him right before the state series, and he just you know, man. By the time when they got to the state tournament, he was a different guy, you know, and and. Um, BJ couldn't do nothing with him, but you know, so I'm thinking that okay, well, all right, Tony, this you know, this dude putting this out in the paper, you need to get in shape, you know. I don't care if it's a week left, you know, do something, you know. But I think um talent had taken him so far that he thought he could pull it off, you know. And I think when it got tight. He doubted himself in, the, in you know in that match. You know, there was a few things that he could have done differently uh, to win that match. But like I say, that's easy to say sitting on the sidelines. You know, um, it probably was the best thing for him to be honest. You know, it it, it was a wake up call. Uh, he he had never lost to Reggie. Um, Think maybe the closest match they had had previously might have been like maybe ten six, you know, but never in danger of losing. Reggie always coming, you know, um, but um, it, it was good, you know, uh, and not like a good wake up call, you know. And who knows if he ever would have went to college, not without that loss, you know. It just, it, it just takes certain things to. Bring the best out of you. Most of the time, it's adversity. You know, it's always that. Yeah. It's always the pain that makes you yes. change. Yeah. You know, and so and that actually led to a cascading of, you know, Tony stopped going to school as much. He gets kicked out of Mount Carmel, which I want to talk about. But just going back to the, uh, you know, you walk in Assembly Hall. It's February. It's you know maybe it's Friday, maybe it's Saturday. You said people are jaw jacking. What what are people saying? Like what's the what's the so chatter? So they were actually literally betting. Big money on the match. And 
and I was in awe. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and uh, they were, at, they were, they were back, I mean, actually betting big money. And, and, you know, and I had never seen that before, you know. Uh, and I was kind of like, you know, kind of caught up in the moment, like, man, I didn't really, you know. And, and, and it kind of made me take a closer look at this match. Oh, well, you know, they, they really, they didn't pump Reggie's head up, you know. And we hadn't done that, you know. Uh, with Chris Williams, I don't know if you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Chris Williams and the kid. Um, from, I want to say he was at uh, Sandberg at the time. We had prepared Chris. We, you know, once we heard, I can't remember the kid name, but once we heard, okay, the kid kind of talked, we prepared Chris. Now, Chris didn't execute, but nevertheless, we had time to make the adjustment. You know, uh, with Tony, I had never heard the jaw jacket. I had never, you know, so... Obviously, that would have gave me fuel to go to Tony and say, hey, this is what, you know, get a little bit more out of them. But I had never heard it, you know. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, they they done done some work, you know. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking like you're talking. You wouldn't be putting that money up, you know. But, um, yeah, I was I was, uh, I was kind of shocked, you know. People were betting on a match. Big money. That's what Man, uh, Oglesby said he thought that might have been happening, but he wasn't sure. Big money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the thing that's interesting about this match, to your point, is to Reggie, Tony's like got oh, yeah, the picture yeah. on his bathroom. Like his whole life was training for Tony. Like I said, for Tony, it was, you know, it was just another mile. I didn't beat this dude before, you know. So it wasn't, you know, and then we didn't have the fuel to ignite him. Say, hey, this is what, you know, so, you know, uh, I don't believe in mistakes. I think everything happens for a reason. So, you know, it it um, it paid off in the end, you know, because in all actuality, they, they just wrestled to get a scholarship for college. So, you know, whatever, whatever ignited him to to make that move, be it the job getting broke or whatever. Or the match with Reggie, you know, uh, for him to wake up and say, hey, I am beatable if I don't apply myself. Because he changed after that. You know, he worked hard, you know. And if this tournament would have happened at the Glenbar North Classic, it would have been big, but not as big. But when the state title's yes. on the line. Yes, What does the state title mean to a high school wrestler in Illinois? I can't, I can't really tell you. For, for twisters, is everything. So... You know, I, I I was just talking to a coach uh, yesterday, and I said, you know, I was naming a kid that was in the program, and I told him, I said, you take that kid who had, he had never won a state IKWF state title, but he was real good, really good. I said, you take that kid and you put him in Cal City program, or you put him over in a, a Bremen program, or you put him in any other program, and he's a superstar, and he probably would be a threat to us. But because he's in this program, and, and, and second and third place don't mean nothing, although it do, but to a kid, he's looking at nothing less than the state championship. In the Twisters program, I said, uh, 
I said, that's a failure. That's a, no, that's, that's a loss. So, you know, uh, I'll be the first to say that the Twisters isn't for everybody, you know. But going back to the subject, uh, to win a state title, being a Twister is huge. You know, it's, if you don't, then it's, you know, what did I do this for? And, and honestly, it's like it's hard getting those guys, and I'm being dead honest, to continue to wrestle after grade school, if they didn't win a title, it's hard to get them to continue to go because they feel like it's a fit. They were a fit. You know, this is really not my sport, you know, although they're really good. You know, they don't look at it like, man, you know, down the line, they'll see, you know, like, okay, like Joe go to the Olympics or TC go to the Olympics or uh, they win an NCAA championship. And then, oh man, I was working out with a stud. Yeah, I tried to tell you, you know, you know, but uh, they, you know, so, you know, like I've had really good guys that came along when Joe and them came along and I mean, really good. And they would be right there. But uh, we had a kid named Leonard Randall. Leonard Randall was, he ended up, he won a uh, IKWF title, but he was awesome. But he was in that room with Andre Davis, Joe Williams, Terry Danzler, Steve Williams, Alvin Jones, which probably Alvin Jones was ridiculously good. But, you know, so and he won and this kid won a state title, but he, you know, he just wasn't he didn't, you know, he didn't feel and by the time he realized it was, it was a little bit too, too late, you know. It's it's hard to take two years off of wrestling now, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came back and he just, you know, he wasn't, he was good, but he knew what good really was and he wasn't there, you know. But you got to realize when I'm going to state, we're getting the state qualifier jacket. We're just excited to qualify. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are even second and third because at man. second you still get to be in the Grand March. Yeah, yeah. But second and third in the qualifier, get out of here. Man, second and third at the Twisters. You're a disappointment. And not, not from the staff, from the kids. Because, you know, they, there's so many champs around them and, and, and before them, you know. And uh, it, I don't think it's a spoken pressure. It's just a pressure, you know, because of what's expected of them, you know. And not even spoken expected. Just knowing that I'm part of this establishment, this is what we do. We win state titles. You know, and I, I think that's uh, we had a kid that was he was wrestling with another program and he, he would give us hell, beat us occasionally. And one of two times we would beat him, but he was really good. He came to the Twisters and he couldn't deal with that kind of practice. And uh, he just man, he, he went down quick. And I told his mom, I said, you need to take him back, you know. Because he was good where he was at because he's big. You know, he was the stuff on his team. But there, you, you, you're not even average, you know. Although he would, even the guys that he would uh, kind of go back and forth with, now they were dominating him. And, and you know, I was like, wow, this. I, you know, I, at the end of the day, I'm there for the kid, you know. And I told him, I, but the mom was, Boy, hit it, you know. And so he eventually quit, but he was really a good wrestler. But TJ said that 
at the end of practice, you guys would do main in the middle type deal, and guys Take would be warming up. Win us day out. Yeah, and guys would be. Like, if someone was having an off day, they'd be talking crap, being like, oh, Tony can't stop a low single. And, hey, Tony can't stop a low single. You remember stuff like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They would, uh, like, when we when we do that, that's showcase time. You know, that's showtime. And, um, what would you yeah, call it? Showtime, you know. So uh, it, they would, um, you know, you get, you know, your stud, or quote, unquote, what people, who people think are studs. Man, they get you know beat by a guy that's two two weight classes under him. You know, uh, when Milton Blakely. So so you got so we had David Douglas, Milton Blakely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up naming some names that you're not probably not familiar with. A kid named uh, Don Womack, uh, Gerard Lucas, Randy Womack. All those guys was like top three in the state at one time. You know. During this time. And uh, I mean, like, right there, uh, what's the kid named uh, Leonard Bowens, who uh, lost to Combs maybe three times in the finals? You know, I'm right there. You know, that's another kid, though, who I was telling you, uh, example, never did nothing in high school. Mm. It, he, ne- he never won that title. We were beating Combs by five going into the third one time and, and lost it. That title... He would have went on to college and everything, you know. But he just, you know, it's it's a it's a bummer, you know. That's the crazy thing about the state title is that when you're in the situation Tony's in, where the only way out is wrestling, there's extra stakes on the line. Yeah. When you go down to assembly hall. Yeah, but see, I don't think that Tony sees that. See, we see that as adults, dude. This is your ticket. You you know you need to do this, but he don't see that because he's living it, you know. So you know. Mama got food at home, you know, I'm living, you know, it is what it is, you know. But as adults, we like, no, you need to <laughs> you need to tie this up, you know, you need to win. And so uh um I was really never worried with Tony because uh I could have taken him to any tournament and you know, prove his case, you know. But some of the other kids like Leonard Boyens was really 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 good, you know, and um uh, he needed a title, and he, yeah, after high school, he wrestled at Thorn Ridge, but he never, I never saw what I had seen out of him before, you know. We had a kid, uh, Patrick McDonald's. Uh, I want to say Patrick won two or three heavyweight titles. Killer, killer. Never, never did nothing in high school. So his support at the Twisters was, like, strong, strong. And then when he left the Twisters, you know, you know, I got to tell the coaches, hey, you you guys can't go to high school meets while we still, you know, in here trying to develop other kids, you know. So, you know, it's kind of splitting the coaches because they want to, you know, continue to support those kids. But we got other kids we need to build, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Tim Springs is a guy who maybe never won one but did win on, right? Because um, he went on to Iowa Central. Tim, I thought Timmy won the title. Did he? I was thinking of the, his match with Israel, and I know he yeah, wrestled Israel. I, I think Timmy won the title. He, okay, he yeah, he won, won the title because that's a guy who uh, he um, Timmy was really good, really, really good. Um, and I want to say he won a did he win a JUCO? Or he won a JUCO title too. He did. Yeah, yeah, because him and Israel both won JUCO titles. Right, right. Different yeah. schools, but. Yeah. Um, 
And you said earlier, Twister style. How would you describe that? That's some, that was a basic one I missed earlier on, but so, I want to hit on it. So we're, we're mostly, uh, we're, not that we can't turn, you know, early on, like, you know, like back when Joe and them was on the team, man, we were throwing legs in, we were turning, we were, you know, doing all of that. But um, we're mostly known for you know, being on our feet, going takedowns, pushing the issue, not, not defensive, you know. So uh, any anybody know the Twisters know that they're good on their feet, you know, and uh, and I, I I don't call good on the feet defense, you know, because <laughs> what well, the other guy don't shoot, then you know, you know, we you know, so good on the feet is you know going after the guys, you know, creating uh, scoring opportunities. B.J. Futrell, he said in in one of the matches, you know, we had a banquet and so the high schoolers came in and they kind of was roasting me. And BJ, who who I thought was like, you know, I'm, this is like the greatest kid. I know he, everybody else, you know, chewing me up. He's gonna, he's gonna, you know, he gonna give me some kudos, you know. And he he went up there and he said, in in the match, I thought I had my best performance. Coach Quinn said, you stunk it up, <laughs> you know. But I always, I want it all, you know. I I push, I push, and uh. I think uh, I push those that I know can receive. A kid that that's not ready, I don't. I don't even, you know, like I was coaching one kid, and I'm, you know, I'm hollering and I'm fussing. I'm looking at this guy, and his eyes is getting watery, and I was like, oh, I'm saying to myself, I can't coach him because I'm not gonna stop being me. But I got coaches that's better for him instead of myself, you know, because I don't want to break them, and I I can tell by me hollering and fussing that I, I was breaking them. So I told the parents, I said, I, I can't coach him. You know, I said, I'll, I'll deal with him in practice, but in tournaments I can't, you know, because I know me, you know, and, and I'm I'm like a perfectionist. I, I want I want it all, you know, and I'm going to drive, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be on you, and then I'm not going to sugarcoat it after the end of the match. I'm not going to curse a kid out, but I'm going to be all over him, you know. And um, so some kids I was good for, some kids I wasn't, you know. I remember uh, Christian, do you know Christian Brantley? Yeah, so, heavyweight, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I remember uh, when Ray Kizzy was coaching with me, which is Ralph's youngest brother. And uh, Christian was coming up, and I would, man, I would ride Christian. I would ride him to death, you know. I don't care if it's two seconds left. Cut him. Give me a takedown. You know, I'm pushing. So Ray, so uh, Christian saw me walking towards the match. He was about to come up. He told Ray, he said, Ray, Ray, hurry up. Get in the chair. So Coach Quentin won't come over here and coach me. So Ray said, later told me, he said, because uh, Christian said that uh, he, he hated for me to coach him because I always, you know, I always make him work hard, you know, and that, that was me, you know. If I, if I think you're capable of doing it, Believe me, I'm going to do it. I, I, I want it all. We were wrestling in, a, in an open tournament. So we was in Ohio. Ohio State Fair used to throw a wrestling tournament. Humongous tournament. Tournament of champions. Yes. No, 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 no. This was the State Fair. Okay. And, and uh, it was a summer tournament, but it was huge. Uh, I remember Stevie. Stevie, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Marchetti. Sonny Marchetti. Yes. Yes. So Stevie wrestled him in the finals. The bracket had to have 142 people. 
it, it, you, you hung it up on the ceiling and it curls up on the floor. Joe Russell Heskett there, we used to bang at that tournament. So uh, Christian... What happened with Marchetti and Steve? We beat him. We beat him. No. Uh, it, was, it was wild, though. The, uh, the son got into a fight with the dad after the match. Uh, Tony beat the younger. So it was two Marchetti. Sonny, which one went to Northwestern? The only one I know of is Sony, Sonny that went to Lassen and then went to Iowa State. Because one of them went to Lassen with TJ. So, so it was two of them. They, so Sonny's so brother, brother so, must so, have so, been the one wrestled Steve. So, so the older one wrestled Stevie and then... Tony and Jason Perot wrestled the, the younger one. And uh, both of them beat the younger one. I don't know. I can't remember if Sonny. I thought Sonny was the older one, though. And uh, Stevie, uh, but, but the older one, when Stevie beat him, this kid was, like, really good. And um, uh, they, the dad and his kid got into a fist fight after the match. So, so now fast forward it. So now, this is years later now, Christian Brantley is there. And we, we wrestling in this state champ from Ohio. And um, he beats the kid. So now there's an open division. And this is a guy about, he's got to be about 6'6", humongous. I mean, huge. So I go up to him and I say, hey, uh, would you like to do an exhibition? And say, he said, with who? So I pointed at Christian. And, 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 and Christian see me over there, you know, he, he's celebrating, he didn't want to turn him in, you know. And so uh, Christian looks, looks at me, and, then, and I pointed to Christian, and the guy looked and nodded his head, and Christian just did, <laughs> dropped his head. So I went over, I say, hey, big boy, I say, uh, don't, don't take your singlet off. I say, you got another match. He said, <laughs> he said coach, with who? I said, you know with who. <laughs> so, so he's wrestling this guy, and the guy clearly underestimated him. And so uh, the guy actually looked at Christian, looked at his girlfriend, and laughed out loud. And so I said to myself, you just don't know what you're in for. So he takes us down, and uh, we escape. We take him down. And then it goes zero, zero, second period, third period. I see he gassing. I said, he's tired, Christian. Go get one. Christian go in, he get one. He cuts him. So uh, I say, I need another one. So he go in and he get another one. And he cuts the guy. And it's like four seconds left. I say, I need another takedown, Christian. I need it. I need it. So he looks at me and he go in and he gets another one. He, he gets off the mat. And then and I, I look, I'm looking at him and I, I'm, I know what he's saying. That's why I hate for you to coach me. <laughs> you know, but I would, you know, I know he had it in him. And I, I want to, because... When I'm not around, you know, you know you're capable of doing this. You've done it before, you know. So, so you know, it's something that can carry on with them, you know, when I'm not around, you know. So uh, That's got to be tough for a lot of kids that get to high school not to have the, the pushing. A lot of them, like I say, we've lost a lot of them because, you know, they didn't have that backing, you know. Uh, it used to be a time where I would, I would go and then uh, – it got to the point, it never was the kids, but, you know, the parents would be like, oh, well, he like him more than he like him or, or, or you. So he'd go watch him wrestle. So I quit going watching any of them. i go to the regional sectionals in the state. That's pretty much it. That's it. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, there's just so many things we could go off on, but I got to go back to 
And finally, we arrive at the 1999 NCAAs. Yes. So let's just start with TJ Williams, the University of Iowa wrestler. What was he at this point in his career? Uh, actually, TJ mindset after he beat Ben Gerties in the IKWF, his eighth grade year, no, his seventh grade year, his mindset never changed from that point on. Focus. Uh, so we had lost the Gerties previously every match prior to that match. And so he finally uh, turned the corner. And um, it just changed, you know, it just totally changed his um, perspective of himself. You know, uh, not to say that he always worked hard, you know, but you've, you know, I'm quite sure you've been, you know, you've wrestled in a room with guys that work hard, work hard, never get the reward, you know. So he always worked hard. Well, he finally got the reward because, like I say, if you don't win a, st- a state title in the Twisters room, you know, it's like, you know, it's, that's uh, a big failure, you know, so. TJ told me he almost thought about going single leg because he had such low self-esteem. Oh, he was, I mean. Which is crazy. Struggling, struggling. You know, he, uh, but after he won that, that, that after he beat Gertis, everything changed. And, and so I don't, I don't even look at it once he got to Iowa, although Iowa definitely, we, we both know, you know, propelled them to the next level. But the mindset, you have to have a mindset to wrestle at Iowa. You know, you have to have a mindset to wrestle at the Twisters back then. You know, um, it wasn't for no, you know, anybody. And likewise, Iowa definitely not for no anybody. You have to buy into their system. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I never, nothing surprised me when he was there. You know, he was you know, self-propelled. And then um, Joe, Joe called me and said, like, it's really tough, you know, when he was a freshman at Iowa. And uh, TJ never called with that, but uh, Joe, and, and even myself. So Joe called me. I dropped him off at school, come back home. About a week later, he calls. He says, it's really tough. I said, how you doing in the practice room? He said, I'm doing okay. I said, what's okay? Because I don't, okay, like, you know, that's, that's not specific enough for me. So I said, what's okay? He said, well, uh, uh, I, uh, I do real good, except when I wrestle with uh, brands. I said, brands? He said, uh, yeah, brands. I said, the 25-pounder? He said, uh, big pause. Yeah. I said, the guy that's at 25, you, you having a problem with him? He said, well, he, he, don't, he don't weigh 25 right now. <laughs> he said, he said I'd, I'd be doing good at first, but he just wear me out. Because, you know, and so there's is, is no doubt with, with that being said that Iowa is, is another level, way up, you know. So he had to he had to buy into that program. You understand what I'm saying? So I I felt like it was a good fit for them because I know how I push, push, push. I know they're going to get that times eight at hour, but the, the mind is already 
susceptible for, for that type of uh, activity, you know. So I, I, I feel like um, with TJ going there, it was nothing but plus, you know, nothing but plus because I, he's a hard worker. I already know that, and, and he's not afraid to even work harder. So that wasn't an issue. I don't know if Stevie would have been a good fit for Iowa. You know, um, Stevie worked hard when he had to work hard. TJ and Joe worked hard, point blank, you know. But um, I feel like Stevie would have been great for under Manning. A guy like Manning, even a guy like John Smith, uh, I felt Stevie would have been okay for. But I, I, I didn't think he would be a good fit for Iowa, I, you know. As crazy as that may sound, I, I I love Iowa wrestling, but and and with one of my one of the closest wrestlers I'm you know I was close to, I didn't think that uh, that would be a good fit for Stevie. It, it don't it clashed with his personality. Were you worried about the D one transition for Tony at all? No, like like I said, um, when Tony applies himself, Tony is excellent. You know, when Tony don't so Tony could. You or when you said, are you speaking academically? No, I'm talking wrestling. Oh, wrestling! Oh no, no. He's a D1 I, I, talent, born I, and bred. I don't worry about none of them wrestling wise. None of them. Yeah. None, so not even Milton Blake. None of them. You know, they all. You know, it's, it's just a matter. Of, you know, uh, even like with Milton Blakely, it was just a matter of, uh, is this what I want to do? You know, and so much is expected of you, coming from the Twisters. Not just from the Twisters is expecting much from you, but the people that recruit you expecting much from you. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that's um that's a tough position, honestly. You know, like um, even like with Chris Williams, you know, I, I felt like um, there's a lot. Of, it was a lot of pressure on him, you know, to perform, to do well. Yeah, you know. And I don't know if he was willing to, you know, um, that's a big commitment, you know, to, to commit. And then you got the weight of your uh, on, uh, of the program on your shoulders. And, you know, um, wrestling is tough. It's real tough. <laughs> it plays with your mind. And then to be, be in the spotlight, that, that makes it even tougher, you know. It's, it, you know, it's, it takes a tough mind to, to go as long as uh, some of them guys do, you know, for as long as they've been wrestling, you know. What was your reaction when you heard that Tony and TJ were at the same weight class? I didn't like it. You know, I, I, all my career, I've always separated my kids, you know. But uh, college was off bounds for me. I could do it in high school, you know, but uh, uh, I didn't like it. Uh, How come? I didn't want both of them at the same weight. I, I thought they were both capable of winning titles at different weights, you know. But, you know, I think uh, so like when you get in college, coaches, is, they don't care. They, they just pumping you up. You know, you can beat him, you know, and, you know, and, you know, and so you buy into that and, and that's showtime, you know, and. Like I said, TJ had never beat Tony, but I knew that TJ, TJ knew what other people didn't know. 
And some people did know, but you got to work. You just got to keep pushing him. Got to keep pushing him and hope that he's not in shape, you know. And and that match for a minute was real close, you know. Could have went either way, you know. But uh, I think um, that just uh, – TJ is just a workhorse, and I, I don't think he ever, you know, uh, doubted himself in that match. You know, I'm not saying that Tony did either. But um, TJ know Tony, and Tony know TJ, and and and, and they both, you know, they both got a, they both, I know, had to. You could see in the match they were both reserved; they didn't really open up like they could. You know, they respected one another. You know, so it it wasn't a good match for me. You know, I didn't see neither one of them open up like they have against other opponents, you know, because of that respect. The respect of, I know what he's capable of doing, and I know what he's capable of doing. You know, and, and Tony, man, I know he knew this, that TJ was going to be there in his face all the way to the end of the match, especially at Iowa. So that's something that you really have to deal with, you know. I, I wish I, I wish they wasn't at the same way. That's one of the reasons why I didn't go to the NCAAs. They were at the same weight class. And lo and behold, you know, that tournament starts Thursday morning. There's 32 savages in that bracket. They got to get through there. Yes. They do get there. Yes. How would you find out that they were going to be in the finals? Kathy Reichardt, who was the uh, wife of the secretary of the IKWF, announced it on the uh, microphone at the state tournament. We were at the state tournament when they announced it. What they say? Said uh, uh, Illinois' very own T.J. Williams from the Harvey Twisters and Tony Davis from the Harvey Twisters is in the finals at a hundred and was it forty nine uh, pounds NCAA championship. That's how I found out. Just what it means for one kids program to put two in the NCAA tournament, huge. Two in the finals at the same weight. I mean, you got to be a proud papa when you're thinking about that. A little frustrated at the weight class situation, but, I mean, what's it mean for the Twisters to have two D1 finalists at the same weight? I mean, I, honestly, like, I never – I'm proud because they're productive. Not, I, what they do, I expect – honestly, it may sound crazy to you, but I, I expect them to do. You know, I expect for them to – like, say, when Joe told me, you know, like, that he's losing the uh, – Brands, what? You know, I, man, I chewed them out. You know, I chewed them out. I'm not even, you know, I'm not even focused on, man, you know, like this is brands, man. You know, I'm not even focusing on that. You know, I'm just focusing on you. What do you mean you let a 25-pounder, you know? <laughs> you know, and so in, in order for Joe to kind of save face, well, he, he ain't at 25 now. <laughs> yeah. Know? But Because um, Joe had beaten Lincoln McRavia as a high schooler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I coached him in that match. Did yeah. you? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, Mac was a tough dude. <laughs> oh my god! Mac a really tough guy, but we didn't, you know. Yeah. We didn't. Um, we didn't, you know, we didn't study names. We didn't know names. We didn't care. You know, we, you know, we we would go to tournaments, and we'd beat guys, and then guys come up to us and say, "Hey, uh, that guy's uh, he, he's like four time national champ." You know, you say, where you guys from? You know, Harvey. You 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 don't know who you just beat? No. You know, I mean, but we 
We beat the guy by like seven, eight points. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we used to, you know, we used to get a lot of our competition at uh, at that Ohio tournament. You know, uh, uh, Raphael. I don't know. Did he mention he wrestled the Russian guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh man, he. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was coaching at a college. He was a head coach at a college. He had a beaten Monday a couple of times, but we had um, what? We had went to the state fair, and he had just beat Monday two weeks before. No, a week before, and he didn't have intent on wrestling, but his guys had convinced him to wrestle, and uh, he he, uh, he was at Ralph where he didn't want to cut no weight, so he he was a little lighter. He was a weight class under Ralph, but. Uh, he got on the scale. I mean, he got, got on the mat, you know. <laughs> so we got him in the finals, and uh, we sent him out on a stretcher with a lateral, man. We hit him, hit him with a lateral, sent him out. Uh, what's his name? Uh, You're not talking Arsene Fedzayev. No. Uh, yeah, I can't think of that. I got, is it the newspaper article. Let's, let's look somewhere. at a couple of these. Yeah. What have we got here, Coach? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in here somewhere. We've hit on really everything I wanted to hit on. Um, just the last piece of it is, when you talk, you know, your whole philosophy is helping these kids get a chance. You know, my podcast is called Wrestling Changed My Life. So I've been dying to ask you this. Why do you think wrestling is such a good change agent for life? I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's hands-on. I mean, it's not like, you know, like in, in, in wrestling, it's, it's one-on-one. You know, it's not like uh, I can uh, put the blame on this guy, that guy. It's me dealing with this guy, you know, so it's, it's personal. If I'm on a football field, on a basketball court, I have teammates. On that wrestling mat, it's just me versus somebody else. This, this is one-on-one. It, it, it don't get no more personal to me than that. And then the sacrifices that you have to make in wrestling, you know, uh, the lessons to be learned, you know, uh, the, the dogging it. If you dog it, it's going to catch up. You know, that's, that's life. You know, so many lessons to be learned that you can experience just in this one-on-one sport. I think you can get the same thing out of boxing. Any one-on-one sport that's demanding, um, uh, such as wrestling. Um, if you, uh, and, and on the accolades of if, if I do well, then I get rewarded. You know, you know that's, it, what, you know. Man, that's life. You know, I, I get in what I, I get out of it, what I put into it. You know, maybe not. I, I, so let me say, like, I'm about to say maybe not at the same capacity, but a lot of us don't see or don't recognize our rewards, um, but they're there. You know, at, at the end of the day, you still have to. Um, you have to apply yourself, and typically when you apply yourself, you're going to get your know, results, you know. And that's what I really love about wrestling. And I think that even for the guys that I've had that didn't go on to um, – I, I, I get guys all the time, for example. I went to um, Milton Blakely, uncle, coached with me. And um, he died of a, yeah. a, a COVID, and I, and I went to the funeral. And a kid came up, well, he's not a kid now, he's a grown man, but his name is Rodney. And Rodney said, he said, Coach Quint, he said, you know, I wasn't one of the great ones. He said, but man, I thank God for you. He said, uh, 
He said, what I learned and what you gave to, to me, I still apply today in life, you know, and, and those are the, you know, because everybody, you know, you know, like I know everybody not going to, they're not going to reach that top podium. You know, some of them might, may not even wrestle again a day in their life, but you can still, I, what I learned in wrestling, I applied to, at, at my job, you know, and I, I, um, I determined, I, I decide my fate, you know, and I learned that through wrestling, you know, and so I don't, I don't know of any wrestler that I've had that doesn't feel like if they apply themselves, they can't make it, you know. I don't know of any one of them. So, so there's no excuses, you know. Um, now, I think everybody is aware that, you know, you, you're going to deal with adversity. You're going to deal with setbacks, you know. And according to how you respond to the setback depends on how far you make it, you know. And so when it, when it comes to how it impacts their lives, I think, I think it's uh, huge, huge. Uh, I, I think it's gave them some lesson. Like, like when we would get ripped off at tournaments and I knew it was just a rip off, I would never tell the kids, you know, you got ripped. But uh, I would always put the fault on them. You know, I would always find a way to put the fault on them. Therefore, no excuses, you know. So you knew they were getting ripped. Oh yeah. For what oh, reasons? Yeah. You know, I mean, race, man, race. Uh, not, you know, we we we've been in tournaments, even as of recent, and in in the past. Like like, I had a kid, Patrick McDonald. He's winning the match fourteen to zero. And the kid, the, the kids on the other kids on the bottom, he gets up to his feet. Was in the Panthers tournament, and we bring him down hard. Um. Kid jumps right back up, you know, back on his feet again. A referee blows a whistle, calls an illegal slam. Coach come down, tell the kid, get down, let me check his forehead. Can't finish the match. Can't finish the match. Now the kid jumped back up. He's back on his feet trying to get hand control. Can't finish the match. And how would you handle it if you were at a tournament and – God forbid a fan said something derogatory. Because Oglesby said that happened oh, all the that, time. That, I've, yeah, I've had that happen many a times. Do you address I, it or do you ignore it? We walked in the gym. We were at Peoria. There's three Caucasian women sitting on the bench. And any time we come in the gym, we always line them up from the shortest to the tallest. The lady looked me dead eye to eye. She said, the niggers are here. <laughs> So now I want to react like I want to react, but I can't do it in front of these kids because I need to lead by example. So I look at the lady and I said, we're going to kick some butt too. And so every time we took first, it was a trophy tournament. Otherwise we wouldn't have went way down there. I had a kid put it on the very top bleacher, every first place trophy, big old trophies, about like that. And we, I went in there with 26 kids. I came out of there with 21 first, and all the other placers lost to Twisters in the finals. Everybody was in the finals. Wow. We, uh, uh, I want to say Alvin Jones wrestled a Quigarosa from that area. I don't know if you remember him, Mm-mm. but he wrestled a Quigarosa, but um, 
This kid was a real stud. We ended up wrestling him. No, he ended up taking third in the IKWF. But it was a, it was you know that tournament was supposed to be the stud tournament right when we came back to the IKWF. The Peoria Open. Yes. I, mean, I never forget going to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. at the Civic Center. It was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, coaches weren't allowed on the floor even. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So that so when that happens, you take it and you respond, and then well, do you address well, it later? Do the well, kids well, ask you? <laughs> well, one. You have to take it. One, I'm too far from home to act a fool. Right. right. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm in foreign land, so nobody's going to believe my story anyway, you know. So, 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 <laughs> uh, so uh, I had to take it. And then I have to, I have to uh, set an example, you know. Uh, I don't know if I would have responded that way had the kids not been there. But by me in a leadership role, I have to lead, you know. But uh, yeah, we we dealt. You know, uh, even when Isaiah White was wrestling a couple of years, well, about eight years ago, uh, no longer than eight now. But we're in Indiana, and uh, this kid is just steady bagging up. We taking all the shots, and so uh, I told the ref, I said, I said, uh, I said, man, we taking all the shots. He said, that's the way we do it down here, boy. And I looked, I said, boy, and he looked at me. And I said, all right, let me just slow down. You know, so unfortunately, it's something that I I have to deal with. You know, um, I would have to say it's probably in my best interest that it does happen in front of kids because I have to humble myself. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? So it keeps me in check. You can't act out how you want to. Yes, yes. Because in my mind... If I think, and I have zero experience with this, but obviously, 80s, I think it's bad. 90s, it's bad. Then it's getting better over time, but you're not even seeing that. You're no, seeing about the same or no, worse. No, no, no. It's, it, it's all depends on where you go. Yeah. You know, it all depends on where you go. And even, even there was a time when I, so to me, Illinois is worse than anywhere. But. How so? Like, when I go to Ohio, it's really not. It's, so it, you may get bad calls, but it's consistent. It's, it's not race based. Um, when I when I go to um, Maryland, any of any of Wisconsin, any other places, I, I I never feel like it's racially um, challenged. But in Illinois, I've had white people to come to me and tell me inside information. Not what their opinion is, inside information. You know. So what's going as far as refs affecting matches, not just people in the stand saying stuff? Um Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know to So here's the bad thing about it is that you 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 get this information, and now every bad call you want to link it to hmm. race. You understand what I'm saying? So it it kind of puts me in a bad position. Kind of like I wish I never would have even known what I know. Yeah. Because now every bad call, I'm I'm you know I'm. It was it was so bad one time we went to a tournament. Honest to God. That I told I went to the um, tournament director. We hadn't paid our fees yet. I say, is either this referee go or we go? And Ryan, I had three other white coaches 
to come behind me and support me and saying, if, 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 if you keep that referee here, we're leaving. And then one guy explained how he had one black kid on his team and the calls that that referee was making. And they, and they gave that guy his, cut his check and sent him home. True story. So it was, it was really good for me to see, okay, it, ain't, it really just ain't me. There's mm-hmm. other people that's seeing this, you know. It's, I mean, like I said, I think it's great because the kids get to learn at an at a, uh, early age. Life not fair, you know. And, and, and so, you know, you're going to roll over and play dead or you're going to keep living. I mean, it's, it's, it's been all my life, though, you know. And maybe, you know, uh, also, so a lot of times I go back to this. You know, I've never been locked up, never been arrested. But it's, it's where you put yourself, you know. So for, for a lot of people that has had encounters with the law, unjustly encounters, but they did put themselves in those situations, you know. Now, the, now it was, it's not upon the law, a law officer to uh, take a person's life. That's not your job. But had I been doing the right thing, you know, Although maybe if you did the same thing, nothing that happened to you. Right. But the, the, the fact of the matter is I still put myself in that position, you know. Yeah. And I think the only reason that I haven't had that type of thing happen to me because I really don't put myself in that position, you know. Um, not to say that, I, I, you know, I, I just think I've been kind of lucky because, like I say, that it's circumstance, that lady would have said that to me and them twisters are not there. I'm going to have something to say. I'm not going to physically, you know, violate it, but I'm going to have something to say, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I can guarantee you they're going to call the police. I was in Iowa. We was at the, not Iowa, we was at the uh, Oklahoma City at the uh, Tulsa turn, Tulsa Nationals. And uh, Stevie, bad call. Stevie's like, that's not two, that's not two. And the table worker looked at him and said, sit down, boy. And Stevie looked at me, I said, so he walked out. So then the dad came and the dad said, that is not two. That is not two. Man, they boom, boom, like that. Police right there. Police came behind him and then told him to get out of there. And then so they put him to the side and then they was walking him to like a tunnel. And then uh, they had his arm behind his back just because he just said, that's not two. The I said, yes. I said, that's not necessary, officer. That is not necessary. He, that joker turned around, put that barrel right on my forehead in front of everybody. The cop? Yes, in front of everybody. At a wrestling tournament? Tulsa Nationals. Oh, my God. Put that barrel right here, just like that. <laughs> What'd you, what happened next? I said, I love it. I told, I told, I, I told my coach, I said, I love this. I said, because the kids get to see. They, this, this, is, this, is, this is life. You get a chance to see. So these mistakes aren't made down the line. You see. This is, this is what we deal with. You oh, know? my God. It pains me to hear that some of the worst of that you saw was in Illinois, though, with the refs. Oh, yeah. Illinois. Not even so much. So, like, um, okay. Um, I think it's Jealousy. Because of the success? I, that's why I told you. That's why I told you. So everybody loved I hate the champ. So, yeah. it, you know, when I learned what I learned, and then I link everything to a race, so it's hard. It's hard to, you know, Separated. decipher yeah. which is which, you know. 
But uh, I do know for a fact that, uh, yeah, I, I dealt with uh, quite a few racist people in Illinois, including officials, you know. It's scary when it's officials. Well, these kids have done nothing. I mean, but people don't care, man. No. They, don't, they don't care. You know, could care less. You know, we had a kid uh, about four years ago, three, four years ago, man. Uh, I don't know if you can watch it online. I'm going to see if I can get the match and send it to you. Please. And he's in the semis, and man, the refs did everything they could to take the match from him. I mean, two refs, everything they could to take the match from him. And and I don't, I man, we we took second, but you would have swore up and down that kid took first the way I reacted, because he won me over by holding his composure in the in that in that uh, semifinal match. And staying focused, and and end up going into overtime, and never lost the composure and won that match. Uh, I was, I mean, like that—that's a championship for me, you know. Um, getting your hand raised all the time is not it, you know. Uh, that's 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 winning in life, you know, to be able to uh, stay focused and not, you know, because include myself. I lost my head, but I'm a, yeah I'm gonna I'm call the mom and see if she can send me that, and I'm gonna send it to you. And I just it'd be nice to get another opinion on it. You send know? it to me because that but kind of stuff drives me crazy. It was it was, uh, it was sick to me, you know, the the continuous uh, bad call and. Uh, well, I appreciate you sharing this. Last thing I gotta ask is Tony Davis. If you got a, you, let's say you go back to the Twisters room tomorrow, you got a whole crop of kids. They never heard of Tony Davis, and you're trying to educate them on the impact he's had on Twisters legacy, Illinois legacy. What's the what's the legacy of Tony Davis for the Twisters? Um. So I, I would like to say that Tony Tony didn't have an active father in his life. Bad neighborhood. Uh. "Quote unquote poor," made it, made it against all odds. You know, it, it don't get no better than that. You know, he, he he's the greatest example I can use. One of the greatest examples I can use. You know, um, um, jaw uh, uh, sewn up. You know, jumped. Uh, ba- basically, got a fight to survive. Um, not, not a whole lot make it through that, you know. That's that's um that's a victory story for many kids that's going to deal with the same you know circumstances he dealt with. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was presented by Quant Wrestling. Quant provides detailed analytics on the great sport of wrestling. Download the Quant app now in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. The first two weeks are free, but if you use the discount code WCML, you'll get an additional two weeks free. That's Quant, Q-U-A-N-T, available in both the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Quant Wrestling, a proud sponsor of Wrestling Changed My Life.